turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, you will be able to follow scripture references on the screen above my head. Or, if you'd like to follow uh, in your own copy of the Bible, you don't have one with you, do raise a hand and one will be brought to you. So just keep it in the air for a little while. I've, I've actually got my own Bible. I've just put in my hand up to identify with those who haven't. <laughs> I think there's one in the center aisle. Just We might need one just here. Okay. So we're in Colossians 4, and I'm going to start reading from verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So, for the remainder of our time together this morning, we're going to look at some of the truths in these verses. You may remember, if you were with us uh, a few weeks ago at the beginning of September, we started by looking at verse 2. Continue steadfastly, or if you're reading in the NIV, it might say, I think it does say, devote yourselves. Um, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So we were looking at some general principles when it comes to praying. We were looking at basically how to pray and some of the encouragements that God has for us in his word uh, to help us to pray. How do we pray? And and we were looking at those general principles. Today, what we're going to look at are verses 3 and 4 where the subject is still prayer, but Paul is, is kind of stepping now from that general principle of how to pray, and he's now bringing a specific and personal request, which helps us to see not just how to pray, but what to pray. So he's bringing a specific request. And as I just began to think about that, I realized that this shows something about Paul's character. This shows us something about how Paul... Uh, considers his relationship with these people that he's writing to. For, for three full chapters, he's been encouraging these believers, and in some respects, he's been putting them right on things that they haven't quite got hold of, whether it's to do with who Jesus really is, whether it's to do with the gospel, whether it's to do with what we are to put on and what we are to put off. He's, in a sense, been putting these Colossian believers straight because false teachers have come in and have started to distort things, unsettle them, and confuse matters. So here's Paul kind of correcting er errors, but his his relationship with these believers is not elitist or one way. Right at the beginning of the letter, he addresses them in chapter 1 and verse 2 to the saints and faithful brothers. He understands that these believers, this church is made up of brothers. He sees himself as brothers with them, so he's inviting them to join with him in something. He's seeing them as brothers with him, not kind of, not people who are under him in such a way they, they, need, his, they need his input and he gets nothing. No, he, he's writing to them to say, you need to get straight on these matters, but please will you join with me in prayer? I need your prayer. And so that's what Paul is saying. He's wanting them to join with him in a partnership. And so we're going to look at the specific things he wants them to pray. 
But first of all, just those couple of observations. He wants these group of believers to partner him, partner with him in a very special way. Now, sometimes there are certain sports, certain team sports, where although it's a team sport, one person might play a slightly more prominent role. And so you see that in cycling. So earlier in the summer, uh, the Tour de France was taking place. And normally, within a team, that team is trying to help almost their team leader to get into the best position possible in order to win the competition overall. And so Paul is like that team member who's in quite a prominent position, speaking to large groups of people, going from city to city, even speaking with governors and high officials and bringing the message of the gospel. He's in a prominent position. If something goes wrong, it, wouldn't, it would have a drastic effect. So he's aware of his need of people around him. He's aware of a need of, of having a team around him. So what happens in a cycling team is that the members of that team will spend their energy getting that, that kind of prominent team leader into the best position pro- possible to go on and win the race. Their goal is not individually to try and win. Their goal is not individually to try and cross the line first. Their goal is to get this guy in a position that will get the best results overall for the team. So that is what Paul is asking for. So that when the going gets tough, heading up a hill, the wind is coming down, he's got some people who are with him to shield him from the wind that carries him all the way so he's able to cross, uh, cross the line. So he wants a team gathered around him. Obviously for us, uh, that means a, a, a team, or for him, a team gathered around who are committed to praying for that team's goal. Now, in a sense, Paul is part of a team. So he writes in verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us. He's with a group of people, uh, including Timothy and Epaphras that we've heard about already, and others as well. A part of a team that go from place to place. However, he's not just saying to that small team, come on guys, we need to pray. He's viewing the church as his team. The whole church is his team. So sometimes we can think that God will only pay attention uh, to kind of like prominent people like Paul or maybe people who are very close to Paul. And so you see um, in kind of international affairs, you see the heads of state perhaps have a small group of advisors, spin doctors and kind of big business donors who are there to give counsel and advice, are there to provide money, and perhaps that head of state is going to pay a little bit more attention to what those people are saying to him. And sometimes there's a problem in democratic societies like ours where the average guy on the street feels like, well, my vote doesn't really count. And so if you look over generations in this country, the voting rate at general elections, sorry for the politics lesson, but the the voting rate over generations has decreased. Now, why is that? It's because people feel they're not involved. It's because people feel they've not really got a voice. People feel there are small groups in power who ultimately make decisions. Now, our God is not like a head of state, an authority figure, who's only paying attention to kind of small professional advisors. No, for us, it's the case that we are all involved and God hears every one of us. We might feel that when we pray to God, we might feel like that poor widow who went to the temple 
and put in two copper coins, giving all that she had. There were other people around who had buckets lo- bucket loads of money, and they gave quite a lot, but they had loads left over. And so we, if we think of ourselves like that widow, we might think, well, this is all I've got. This is all I know how to pray, really. I don't have very many grand words. I, I don't feel like I've got quite the stamina that I know other people probably have. And if we can think, well, God then won't notice what I bring to him. But what happens is Jesus notices. Jesus says to his disciples, did you see that woman? She only had those two copper coins, but she gave all, I had, all she had. And Jesus gives specific mention, notices what she'd done. And so for us, we could think, oh, surely my prayers won't count for much. Now, Paul is saying, no, it's not just about me and my small team. It's we're a church together and we want to pray. And so that's what we want to do this afternoon for all those who can gather with us is we know we need to pray. We know God has given us a massive vision as a church and it's time for us just to give ourselves to God in prayer. We can think, well, I've not got much to pray. I, you know, I run out of words. And God knows what we pray. God is listening to each and every one of us and it makes a difference. So in heaven, there'll be heroes of faith that we recognize or know about. So either from the Bible, perhaps, or from kind of contemporary uh, church history. There'll be people who, are, who've, who had on earth positions of prominence, which God used. And so their crown, as it were, might be preached in a stadium and saw so many people saved. But there'll be other heroes of faith. There'll be many heroes of faith. And maybe you will be among their number, whose crowns are not so much preached in stadium, but prayed. Prayed with the door closed. Prayed with just the simple words that I knew how to pray, but the Holy Spirit empowered them, and world-changing events take place when believing people pray to a holy and awesome and mighty God. So that's what we're going to be doing today. The whole church is involved. Paul wants the whole church to kind of get behind what's going on in this global spread of the gospel as Paul and his team go from place to place. He knew that they needed an army of prayers behind them. So what does Paul ask to pray? We're going to look at two things in particular to help us to pray this afternoon, but indeed to help us to pray at any time. Paul asks the believers in in Colossae to pray this, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. To open up a door for the word, to open up a door for our message, the gospel, the mystery of Christ that he wants to declare and proclaim. It's sometimes mystery of Christ makes it sound like it's a a very secretive thing, makes it sound like something that is only kept hidden for a few. But the point of this is, it's a mystery that was once unknown, hidden. The mystery was this. How can people born in sin, how can the whole human race, born separate from God and without hope, hostile to him and under his wrath, how can such people have a hope of being in a wonderful, perfect relationship with, with, with the God of heaven? That was the mystery. That was the question. And that mystery was solved and revealed when Christ came into the world. 
now Paul wants to declare that mystery, that thing that was once hidden and secret, from every rooftop he can find in every city. And so he's saying, please pray for me. Some people might think, some people have commented on this passage and think, well, it's perhaps a slightly um, shy or backward way of saying, please open a door so that I can get out of prison. Because as he says, open a door for the word on account of which I'm in prison. Some people read that as Paul wanted to get out of prison. Now probably, if he had any sense, maybe he did want to get out of prison. And other times he he made requests um, for people to pray as such. But here, his main request or concern is very unlikely to be, get me out of here. Because at the very outset of his walk with God, God said, I'm going to show you how much you're going to have to suffer for my name. So Paul had been making other people suffer for, what, for, for the message of Christ. Now Paul is one to Christ, and he's in this position where he knows, yeah, he's going to go from place to place. And he's going to be persecuted. He gets beaten. He gets cruelly treated. He gets lowly thought of. He gets thrown out and stoned from various places. He knows that his life involves suffering on account of this mystery that God has revealed to him. So it's unlikely that he wants to just he wants to say to these believers, you know, pray that I'll get out of here, and that that's the focus of his prayers, because it's because of the word of God that he got in that prison in the first place. So what does it mean to pray that God may open to us a door for the word? It's a phrase we sometimes see in other passages of Scripture. So, for example, in the book of Acts, book of Acts and chapter fourteen. We see there uh, that Paul and Barnabas, having been sent from their, as it were, home church in Antioch to various towns and cities sharing the gospel, return to the church in Antioch to share um, about what they've seen happen. And so it says in verse 27, Acts 14 verse 27, When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. As they went from place to place, they'd seen that this door of faith to the Gentiles was open. So it's almost like the door that is being spoken of is a door to people's hearts. And so Paul and his companions had gone from place to place and they'd seen people open up. They'd seen people be receptive to what they had to say. We see one particular example of this um, in Acts 26. Again, Paul and his companions have gone from place to place, and now it's not Acts 26. (laughs) Uh, Give me a moment. Acts, (laughs) Acts 17. They went to a place called Berea. And it says there, in Acts 17, verse 10... Uh, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they entered, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So what they encounter when they get to this place is, Wow, by degree, this place seems a lot opener than some of the other places. Opener? Is that a word? Uh, It seems more open. (laughs) I've got a habit of making up words, by the way. I don't know if you've spotted this. A couple of weeks ago, I said um, monumentous, 
which is a combination of monumental and momentous. So I'll take a bow. I made up in my own word. Um, so what they see when they get to this place is, wow, there's an eagerness here. Maybe they go to other places and there just seems to be a hardness of hearts and, and a cynicism. But here, what they're saying is being examined. These people are getting into the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And therefore, because this door seems to be opening up, there are many, of pe- many people who are coming through to believe. Not a few Greek women as well as men. Um, so we're seeing this, uh, this door open up to people's hearts. There's an openness. We see it as well where Paul talks in 1 Corinthians uh, 16. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9. I will read from a bit before this. He says from verse 7, For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend uh, some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. What is he talking about there? A wide door has opened up. Well, people's hearts have opened up, but maybe circumstances have opened up as well. That means many people are hearing the message of the gospel and many people are responding to it as well. In fact, the very reason that the Colossian church exists is because that effective door opened up. So that in Ephesus, Paul preached for two years and it says the whole province of Asia heard the word of God as people heard the message and then they took it themselves to place and place. And so the very reason this church exists is because this wide door opened up for effective ministry. So people's hearts are open. And there are kind of circumstances that mean many people are able to hear it as well. It's kind of interesting to note as well that alongside that effective door being opened up, it says there were many adversaries. Now we think if God was really kind of paving the way into a time when we're going to see um, fruit just drop off into our hands ever so easily, that that will mean it's a time where opposition just seems to disappear. And actually for Paul, the experience in this situation was this door seemed to open up, alongside which there was a lot of opposition. And I kind of wonder how many of you might be experiencing that at the moment. Or as a, as a church, we can think, um, we're pressing into new ventures. We're pressing into being one church in two locations. Moving and wanting to, uh, to reach into communities in a way that we've not done so before. Seeing people come in amongst us who've not done so before. And going to them. New, new ventures, again, like this is the time of year when we want to get into Alpha. When, uh, when new students are in, are in town that we want to reach out to. Or can we think, we're praying to God, and we'll be praying this afternoon, God, open up a wide door. And then we can think, if, the, if, ad, if opposition comes, we can think, oh, that must be the door closing. In a sense, no. In this situation, it's the very invitation to keep pressing on. If there is opposition in your life, it may well be indication of something significant that God is wanting to do. And we need to hold on to these kind of things. We need to be like Paul who didn't allow himself to get defeated in his mind um, when, when he got stoned or when opposition came or when people ridiculed him. We might experience those kind of things. But God is opening a door. Indeed, that's what God has even encouraged us with this morning. 
He's putting an open door before us. He's putting a harvest. And he's saying, now's the time to reap. Now's the time to see that for such a time as this, God has got this company of people together to press into him in prayer and to step out boldly uh, to see many people added in. We see this phrase, an open door, uh, in, in, one other, uh, in another occasion in Revelation, which I think is just so encouraging for us to get hold of. As Jesus there, from heaven, addresses the church in Philadelphia. He says in Revelation chapter 3, and verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. We see there, Christ wanting to encourage his church. Maybe it was a church that had been uh, kind of continuing steadfastly in prayer. It had been stepping out boldly. So Jesus says, I know your works. And at the point at which encouragement is needed, says, behold, I have set before you an open door. I have set before you an open door. Sometimes we can look at doors, as it were, situations, or maybe people that we know that we're particularly praying for, and it can seem like this impregnable fortress. This, this door is set up that is, that is barricaded and is all locked up, and we can be banging on it, thinking, uh, maybe thinking that it's only us that wants that door to be opened. Actually, we've got a God who's saying, I want to open some doors. I'm a God who opens doors, and that's why in my word I say, pray to me that I might open some doors, because that's what I like to do, and I'm very good at it. And it's like, it's a mystery, but God opens the door, it's him that does it, but he chooses to do it through our prayers. It's like the tool or the key that is in, that is in God's hand to unlock some, some bolted up doors is our prayers. Our prayers are the key in God's hand. God has chosen to use that particular key. He could have chosen to use some other key that didn't involve us. But we're all his church. He's called us. He's chosen us, brought us into a company of people in order that we might pray and that in order that God might answer our prayers. We have to believe God wants to answer our prayers today and every day that he would open some doors. So let's pray today and on other occasions as well for God to do a work in unbelievers, to open a door of faith so that people's hearts are receptive. There's an openness to actually consider. I wonder, I'm guessing I'm not the only person who's sometimes spoken to people um, and when we've done the treasure hunts on occasion, this has been the case, for some people there's just an immediate sense of warmth and openness. Almost they are drawing from you encouragement. They want to find out more. Other people, you just get straight away that cold, cynical, dismissive, slightly ridiculing tone. No, mate, that's not for me. I think you've got the wrong person. And, that, and, and that's the case. Now, we want to pray that people like that would have their hearts softened so that when we do speak to them, it's no great work on our part, 
but it's just evident, oh, this is like fruit just dropping off a tree into our hands. That's what we want to pray for uh, today. So to pray that God changes circumstances and attitudes, there's an openness to his word, which is unusually effective. So we want to pray the locks off of people's hearts. That's the first thing that Paul requests that the Colossians pray for. That's the first thing, in a sense, that God might say to us to pray for today. That the message, this mystery of the gospel, would be revealed to people um, who, by God's grace, uh, would accept it and receive it as good news, as indeed it is. The second thing that Paul kind of adds to that is this: is in the phrase this, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. I think in the NIV it might slow flight, flow uh, slightly easier when it says, um, you know, pray that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So a, a door is being opened, a door is indeed open, but now there is something that needs to go through that door. It's not enough, in a sense, hear me right, for God to open the door. God has ordained that something needs to go through that door. A powerful word proclaimed boldly and clearly by Paul that, that hits the target and is a genuine kind of eye-opener for people. It's rather like, imagine a bow and arrow, where the arrow is this mystery of the gospel. The arrow is the message that someone like Paul might prepare, that he wants to kind of openly declare the full counsel of God. He goes with a, with a message of Christ. Here is this arrow that has been um, kind of meticulously prepared and refined and straightened with a sharp edge, it's ready to fly. Pray that it might actually go somewhere. The praying bit is like the bow that gets pulled back. Pray that I may make it clear. He might have something in mind, but without the, the prayer of the saints, that message could just fizzle. It could just either miss the target or just not quite reach it. And so Paul is saying, I pray that I may make it clear. Martin Lloyd-Jones, writing on a similar verse in Ephesians, said this, The greater the Christian, the more he realizes he depends upon the prayers of others. Isn't that wonderful? Because we, again, we might so easily think of it the other way around. The greater the Christian, the more he realizes his dependence upon the prayers of others. That's what Paul is saying. Pray that I 